Welcome to Distant Grey Gaming. We're playing Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition by Chaosium Inc. This game contains themes of horror, violence, animal cruelty, racism, death, and profanity. And for those reasons, listener discretion is advised. start in media res today um our valiant investigators are members of a whaling expedition um aboard the boat the barclay a short time ago on the ship the call went up that a whale spout has been spotted and three whaling boats are lowered into the water um each boat gives pursuit to a different whale um, with every man rowing as if their life depended on it. The sky is crystal clear. The sunlight sparkles on the spray rising from each boat's prow. Ocean swells and falls, and a leviathan crests through the waves before you. So there are um, seven of you in the boat. Um, Isaac is a steersman. Um, so I'm assuming you've got control yes. um, of the, um, the tiller um, and the rest of you are um, arming yourselves for your encounter with the whale coursing through the waves before you. So you pull closer and closer uh, to the whale. Um, the sinews in your arms like bulging out um, the effort of pulling the oars through the waters. Um, one of your um, one of your crew members on this whaling boat is Aurini, um, who's a South Island, a South South Seas Islander, um, and he stands proudly uh, at the prow of your boat, harpoon in hand. Um, so. The waves are churning and thrashing before you, and it's time to make some dice rolls. <laughs> so, can everyone make me a strength roll, please? Nope. I rolled a 67. My strength is 60. And, of course, you can burn luck if mm, you wish. Okay, I might do that. Seven luck, sure. Burn it away. 
Um, I'm going to burn uh, six points of luck because I got an 86 and my strength is 80. Mm-hmm. We're a strong crew here. Yes, with a strength of 80, I rolled a 91. Oh. A bit rubbish. Burn it. Yeah. Burn the luck. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to leave it as it is for now. Oh. Okay. Okay, so the, the boat yours and pitches as you, um, as you wrestle with this whale. Um, I'm going to give Ringy um, his roll. Oh. And he rolls a zero three. Oh wow! So um, his harpoon pierces the side of the beluga whale, um, and blood starts uh, spreading out in the ocean before you. The whale continues to thrash, but um, you quickly hook it to the side of the boat, um, start wrapping ropes around it and of course none of us advocate the killing of whales no <laughs> but um it's an unfortunate fact of history yeah that people no, no animals were harmed in the making of this podcast except this one this one's gonna die <laughs> this this fictional animal this fictional animal yes this beautiful white beluga whale yes explain yes. the beauty of this creature it's beautiful the, the red the blood water. against the white skin of this beluga <laughs> whale it tastes like chicken tastes like <gasps> chicken chicken probably does yeah Tucky fried whale. Keep that in. Mm. <laughs> I think we have to. KFW. <laughs> okay, so there's a um, there's a tussle with the whale. The whale um, manages to create some distance between itself and your boat. The um, the line attached to the harpoon uh, goes out, um, and several of you manage to pull it back in again. Pull the whale close. Like I said, you hook it to the side of the boat. Um, feeling very pleased with yourselves um, because this is, of course, how you're going to make some money. And um, the whale, which is now dead, is struck with a flag called a waif. Oh. Yep. Um, and that signals to the Barclay, your ship, that you have caught a whale, yep. um, and the ship begins to make its way towards you. Of course, we all knew that yes. because we are whalers. We, we've been on this boat for 13 months. <laughs> this is not the first whale. No. We'd hope We'd not. We'd hope not, no. <laughs> So, as I said, it's a crystal clear day. Um, you can hear shouts off in the distance. The other whaling boats um, may or may not be having some success. Um, but there's going to be a, a, a short passage of time before the ship actually arrives where you are. Um, so you, you might care to introduce yourselves at this point. My name is Phil, and I'm playing John Dewitt. I'm a second mate, um, a lifelong sailor. Um, been 13 months aboard the Barclay, and uh, I was born in Cardigan, Wales. So I'm Welshman. So you might get a, a lilting Welsh accent if I can remember. I love that. <laughs> very, very lilting. Very, very lilting <laughs> and variable. <laughs> I am Elise, and I play Matthew Cole, an able seaman, and I'm from Nantucket, Massachusetts. But seaman and Nantucket in the same <laughs> sentence. <laughs> yep, very able. And I am Stuart. I am playing the boat steerer called Isaac Chase. Um, been on the Barclay for up to thirteen months with the rest of my crew. We 
So the other crew members um, on your particular boat include Silas Coffin, Herman Shepherd and Charles Shorter, and of course Ringy, um, your harpoonist. Um, some of the men bring out dice and start to play dice as they often do when there's some time to kill. Yeah. Um, it's a D20. We actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they bring out their D100. Well, What's the rest of this podcast is just us rolling dice? <laughs> yeah, we're going to game within the game now. And Shorter actually has a set of dice uh, yeah. made, made from whale ivory. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, or Ringy draws your attention. Um, he looks across the, the ocean with a sort of faraway look as though you know, he's looking towards his home. Um, and he looks back at you. Any of you be God-fearing men? Yes, I am. I've got my grandmother's Bible in my bunk. Uh-huh. Rather a sea-fearing man being on the ocean. So there's no one who uh, looks to the gods more than sailors do. Um, what of the rest of yours? No more than usual. No more than usual? What does that mean? <laughs> Is that... Are you a not outgoingly outgoing man? Okay. Oh, I miss my home. Do you miss your homes? Oh yes, I do. I miss the valleys of Wales. <laughs> what do you miss most about your homes? The green grass. Fresh food. My mama's cooking. Ah, your mama's cooking. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, what be your mother's favourite dish? What be your favourite dish? Um, she does make a nice broth. Uh, nice broth, just yeah. like on the ship. I bet nice and weird, but we. Yes. So, sailors are superstitious fellows, are we not? We are. Yep. Well, the sea is, has mysterious ways about her. You know that um, out here, the god that you look to, he doesn't smile down on this place. There's another one out here. His name is Tutu. Tutu? I've never heard him mentioned before. Uh, it's the uh, god of my people. You're a long way from home, though. Uh, not so far, not so far. What does this Tutu mean to you? Tutu is a great god of the depths. Where's he? A powerful mighty god who came from the sky. Should be careful with that heathen talk upon a vessel like ours. Our god covers all, the high, the low, and the deep. So Uringi nods his assent at that and, and decides to cut the conversation. So there's a cool breeze that starts to dry the sweat from your exhausted bodies. Um, oh yes, I feel that breeze. Yes, it's a welcome relief. <laughs> and the boat almost rocks you to sleep as though you're babies. Um, the gentle swell. Um, yeah, so, you know, plenty of opportunities um, as the ship approaches for the kind of conversations we've just been having. Um, just lean back, feet up on the side of the boat. Don't wait. Don't let the captain see you laying back with your feet up on the side of the boat. Oh, we've got a while. Oh. 
So, can you all roll me a d6? That's a four for me. Three. Five. So, Isaac, you're listening to the conversation, sort of almost half asleep as you're waiting for the ship to approach. Um, You're daydreaming. You've taken out your pipe, you know, puffing intermittently. Um, You're just gazing over the side of the boat down into the ocean. There's a patch in the water you're looking down at, kind of rippling. It's different from the ripples elsewhere. Um, And as you look into it, it starts to take form. It takes the form of a face looking up at you. You're transfixed. You drop your pipe and you continue to stare down into the water. The face continues to take form. It's your mother's face. She looks up at you and you hear her speaking to you. Her voice. She says, come to me now, Isaac, and everything will be well. Come to me, Isaac, Isaac. And you continue to look into the water transfixed. Make me a sanity roll, please. I certainly can. Do we, do we notice this going on? With this? You just see him sort of gazing into the water. You don't hear anything. Too busy looking up at the sky. 59. With my speed up. <gasps> a success? A success. Okay. I mean, you're obviously slightly shaken by the vision, um, but not too perturbed. I mean, sailors often see strange things in the water. Um, yeah. The face fades again. Yeah. Just leaves you with that sense of, you know, those words being repeated. And gradually that fades as well. I miss you too, Mama. What did you say? I miss <laughs> you too, Mama. What, did I hear you say that as a character? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. You must really miss her cooking. Um, do you want to discuss what you've just seen? Or? Definitely not. <laughs> okay. You just see me looking over and say those words. Yeah. I, I pick up his pipe for him. I, I assume he dropped it in the bottom, not in the ocean. Yes. Just <laughs> hand him back his so. pipe. Yeah. You need to be care- more careful with that. Thank you. You're welcome. Oringi gives you a strange look, um, but it passes. The, um, the ship is upon you now, and um, the whale is transferred to the ship, and the process of lensing the whale begins. So we cut forward to a few hours later. Um, you're all back aboard the main ship, the Barclay. Um, so, just to set the scene here, the Barclay has been at sea for 13 months. Um, you expect that you could be at sea for up to another 12 months or so. Life is hard, the work is hard, the food is poor. Um, you most commonly eat salted horse, or salt horses it's known. Yeah which is salted pork or beef um, from barrels. And, of course, the ubiquitous hard biscuits um, yeah, riven through with weevils, cockroaches. Good old sea biscuit. <laughs> it's, it's protein. Yeah. It's, it's extra protein and flavour. But, look, overall, the, the voyage has been a happy one so far, and especially more so now that um, there's been a catch. 
and in fact, not just your catch, but one of the other boats has managed to bring in a whale also. So we can leave the podcast right there. Everybody's happy, everybody wins. Everybody's alive. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, we win. Yeah. Ta-da. So the more um, the more whale oil the ship takes on, the more you get paid at the end of the voyage. Um, yeah, according to your position and station. So would you just be setting about our tasks? Yeah. Um, and the ship steward, uh, Lawson Bond, he logs everything you take from the stores, alcohol, tobacco, and so on. That's deducted from your final payment. So ropes ending in sharp hooks are lowered over the um, side of the ship. The hooks pierce the skin of the whale and hold it fast. Um, men set to work with long-handled tools and sharp spaded blades, which are used to slice through the thick blubber. Um, the ropes are drawn upwards, um, pulling the blubber from the revolving carcass inside. The blubber comes away in long strips. It's not unlike peeling an orange. <laughs> it's a juicy. It's a non-vegan orange. Mm. So other men then set about um, slicing the blubber into thin sheets uh, known as Bible leaves. Oh, nice. Um, and these are rendered in the boiling pots known as triworks on deck. So there are other men stoking the fires uh, that heat the pots. The oil is then allowed to cook in barrels and it's stored on the ship. Um, so we're all set to work. Um, so Matthew Cole, me. You have the pleasure of stoking the tri works. Yep. So yeah. you're, you fuel the fire below the iron pots, the whale blubber. Um, John. Yes. Um, you've got the less pleasant task, of course, of um, working over the side of the ship. Um, so you're the one slicing strips of blubber from the slippery carcass. That's nice. why you get paid more. Yes. Yeah, nice. The, um, you know, the whale's blood um, spreads through the ocean water. You think you can see off in the distance a thin or two. I don't like where this shark. is going. Um, don't, don't drop your pipe. <laughs> no, you can go and pick it up if I do. Yeah. So whereabouts in the world are, is the ship at the moment? Uh, you're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. The Pacific, okay. Yeah. And Isaac, you've got the arduous task of preparing the whaling boats for the next use. So um, you spend your time like carefully coiling up the ropes, um, cleaning everything and putting things into place. Stoking the fires. Which is probably a great job when it's cold. Yeah, but I remember they said there was a cool breeze before, which means it's hot. Very hot, <laughs> yeah. So a little later, um, you will hear an angry voice on the deck. Um, you turn and look, and it's one of your shipmates, um, Valentine Thomas. Uh, he's normally a fairly quiet and subdued fellow, um, so it's unusual to see him worked up angry about something. He doesn't appear to be addressing anyone in particular, but he's, he's yelling, where have you put it? Where have you put it? Where have yous put it? The crucifix. The crucifix me wife gave me. 
Where is it? Where is it? Valentine, have you sure you haven't just checked your bunk? I've just been in and checked me bunk and it's not there. Who's taken it? Presumably John's down the side of the ship so he's not on a geographical level, location level with him. Um, you can stick your head over the gun while and see what's going on um, from where you are. I'm probably just going to keep my head down and keep working. I'm probably in one of the rowboats cleaning that. I continue stoking the fires, just shaking Scrub my head. Scrub it up, dub. <laughs> he walks over to Isaac. Scrub it, yep. It was you, wasn't it? It was you that took the crucifix. What crucifix? The crucifix my wife gave me. I haven't touched it. It's my most treasured possession. What have you done with it? I don't have it. I haven't touched it. What have you done with it? I have not touched it. I don't know what you're talking about. Bond. Bond calls. Lawson Bond, the ship's steward, comes over. Um, he's a middle-aged man with a scraggly red beard, piercing blue eyes. Um... He's known to be a firm friend and comrade of the captain. Um, not an excessively pleasant fellow. Um, so Bond comes over um, at the call. Thomas says to him, I demand justice, Bond. I demand satisfaction of justice. This fellow here has taken the crucifix my wife gave me, the last thing she pressed into my palm for I set out on this godforsaken ship. I think at this point John will also make his way up to the deck, seeing there's a bit more of a commotion going on now. I think a few people will start gathering. Yeah, yeah. we just stop work and watch what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Well, indeed, a, a small crowd, if you like, gathers on the deck. Um, Fight. Circling. <laughs> circling. <laughs> yeah. Rumble. Almost as though a schoolyard fight is about to take place. Rumble. Bit of an entertainment the on these dreary... Yeah. Another of your shipmates, Melvin Weeks, he comes out from the crew's quarters onto the deck and makes a similar complaint. He says, I can't find my prayer book. Who's taken it? Thomas, you say it's this fellow here? Pointing at Isaac. I can't play the race card. <laughs> you get flogged if you do. I haven't, I haven't touched anything. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm innocent. Bond looks at you hard, his piercing blue eyes. Search my bunk. Search me. I don't have anything. I don't have any stuff. I know you to be an honest man, Isaac. I have got my own suspicions about this weeks. Thomas, you stand down. Cole, Isaac, DeWitt, come with me. What? So, he starts making his way towards the uh, forecastle. So this is Bond, is it, we're following? Yeah. Yep. The steward. Yep. yep. He starts making his way to the forecastle. Um, and ultimately to the crew quarters beneath that, and you follow him descend into the ship. I just kind of um, look at Dewitt like, how did we get pulled into this? <laughs> Others, 
are following behind as well. This look, people who are just kind of an audience. The Daily Show, they've got nothing better yeah. to do. Wasn't Orangi going on about gods and... Yeah, he was, but he's a trustworthy fellow. Indeed. Bond proceeds to Orangi's bunk. Uh-oh. And Orangi is asleep. What's going on here, Bond? Sir? Sir? It's this godforsaken devil, I tell you. Whoa, hold on. I hope there's some proof behind that. The proof will be in the pudding. Wake him up. I'll, g- I'll give him a, a rock on the shoulder. So Oringi comes to, looks up and goes, Oh, oh you've, uh, you've finished the flensing then, have you? Uh, not exactly, no. What be the meaning of all this then? Uh, Mr Bond here would like a word with you. Hi. Hey. Very good savouring, yeah. Well done. <laughs> aye, avas. Aye. Shiver me, Tim. one eye. <laughs> so, Bond goes to Oringi's locker. Yep. He opens it up and starts uh, rifling through. This trunk contains a small wooden idol amongst the meagre clothes and other knickknacks. And Bond holds it up in his left palm, looks somewhat triumphant and looks at you all and says, see, I told you the man's a devil. That looks nothing like a crucifix or a prayer book to me, sir. Yeah. We, we all, sir, we all know that he has different beliefs, but he's respectful of ours too. Only, only this very morning we were talking about such things. He didn't denounce our God. No. Tell me, or ringing, tell me about this demon, this devil that you've got in your locker here. What be the meaning of this? Or ringing starts to yammer a bit. Um, he says, that be Father Tutu and you're not to touch it. Put it back, Bond. Bond points at three of you and says, keep searching that locker. What else should we find? I just begrudgingly go over and start searching through his things. Sorry about this, Orangi. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep watch on the stuff as well, praying desperately that there's not the <laughs> hidden items in there. So indeed, there is nothing unexpected and certainly no crucifixes or prayer books. Um, in Oringi's locker. Nothing in here, sir. Bond continues to stand in these quarters. They smell foul, vomit, urine, poop, years of uh, tobacco, smoke, and so on. Bond seems unperturbed by this. He stands and continues to stare at the idol, um, looking at it disdainfully and, and muttering about, you know, heathens, the godless, and so on. Um... Any other leads here, sir? Any other suspects you want us to search through? Everyone give me a psychology roll. Oh, 10 or less. Uh, oh, 19. Oh, I... Seven. Okay, we'll go with yours then. 58. Definitely not yours. <laughs> so, who succeeded, sir? Seven. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you... Um, you managed to read Bond, you think, quite well. Um, you get the impression that Bond is being willfully false. He's putting on a show here. Prejudice. You suspect it goes beyond prejudice. There's clearly some other kind of motive here. 
it may not even have to do with Orini as such. Who's higher up than the st- the steward? Who would we go to if we had an issue with the steward? That'd be the first mate and captain. The first mate, yeah, you would. Uh, who was o- certainly o- not the second. O- Obed Reed was the first mate. Well, I, I think we would exercise caution about going up the chain of command. Not just yet, but um, I, I guess we'll... Is he, is he just still standing in Orini's quarters, or are we... Yeah, Orini's getting angry now. He stands up. Yeah. He's, a, he's a big man. He stands up to Bond and says, you know, Bond, what be the meaning of all this? And, and Bond just continues looking at the idol and going, well, I think the captain, she'll know, she'll know of this Orini and... And you shall tell where you have put the things. So, um, so, so Duet's going to su- respectfully suggest, oh, look, m- Mr. Bond, maybe we could just give him back his idol for the moment until the captain has time to resolve this. So there's no reason to not... It, I, I just think, you know, it's bad luck. It's in, we're not in a place... You know, we're, we're doing well, we've had good luck. Let's not tempt fate by causing trouble here. Bond just sort of goes, Pah. He pushes a Rengi back <gasps> onto his bunk. All right, are we going to bring this up with the captain then, Bond, or are we and, just... And he tosses the idol, like, onto, onto the bunk also next to a Rengi. Um, he looks at the three of you uh, very hard. You can hear the other men um, around you um, in these crew quarters also looking through their own, um, their own lockers... And some of them discover, indeed, that crucifixes, Bibles, prayer books can, have, have gone missing. Can Jewett search through his stuff? Because he's got a Bible in his stuff. Yep. 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 So can I search? Yep. So you go to your locker, uh, you open it, and indeed, your Bible. Mm-hmm. My, na- my Nana's Bible. It's missing. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, there's nothing in any of these lockers. Is everyone So everyone's... Kind of suggesting that there's a all the other yep there. yep. There's a lot of muttering going on about you know that that damn devil or ringy and and um, yep. And Bond keeps sort of playing it up. We've just searched his stuff, guys. There's nothing in there. If you want to blame somebody, we need to find this stuff. All the other possessions are there. That wasn't it. It's just the crucifixes and the Bibles that are gone. Yep. Yeah, um, Jewett's going to stand up and say very loudly that you know. Well, my, my nana's Bible's missing too, but I'm not blaming Arangi. He's a good mate. So we'll pipe down. The room goes quiet. Because of me. <laughs> There's a uh, creak at the top of the stair and the, the sun is blocked for a moment. There's a, there's a large figure standing at the top. Um, everyone goes quiet and you look up and it is indeed Captain Chapel. Oh, shit, now you've done it, guys. Captain Chapel makes his way down um, into the crew quarters, wrinkles his nose, um, and looks at everyone, and then at Bond. He says, So, Bond, is all well. It's all well, my friend. Bond says, the men say that their Bibles, their rosaries, their crucifixes have gone missing, Captain. I think it's this devil here. He looks at Arangi. Arangi bites his lip and just looks hard back at the two of them. Uh, Captain, to be honest, we haven't found anything in Arangi's quarters. 
Mr Bond asked us to search through and found nothing to prove otherwise. Bond says he's just gathered it all up and thrown it overboard whilst honest men were toiling. Jewett's going to position himself so he's standing right next to Orangi just to try and calm, you know, place a comforting hand on him. Yep. And yep. I'll, I'll say, with a, with a great deal of respects, Captain, um, Orangi was on my skiff. He's been working as hard as the rest of us, with us, the whole time. My, my Bible, my Nana's Bible, has gone too. My most dear possession. I'm not blaming him here. There's no evidence. Bond, he's angry. Some meaningful glances pass between him and the captain. Um, everyone goes silent. The captain just shakes his head a bit. All right. All right, you lovelies. All back to work. Back to work. Back to work you go. You, Orengi, you're not to be down here by yourself. Come up on deck. What were you doing down here anyway, man? Orengi looks sheepish. Um, at the captain's command, everyone starts to move. Uh, I... <laughs> We're just going to keep saying that. Uh, Hi, yeah. Captain. Yeah. I'm going I'm to uh, clap a rangy on the shoulder. Come on, mate. Let's, let's go up on deck. Yeah. Okay, so the rest of the day passes fairly uneventfully. Um, I mean, there's plenty of muttering between different members of the crew about what could have happened to all the crucifixes and Bibles and so on. I probably would mention to DeWitt and Chase that Bond's up to something didn't seem legit down there. There's something more going on. What, legit? What is this? <laughs> legitimate. Oh, legitimate. Oh, I see. seem legitimate. Yeah, <laughs> what makes you say he's, this? He's up to something. I've got a, a read on him. He's something more. I don't have anything up more than that, but I can feel it in my guts. Go back to scrubbing. Yes, I'll Scrub go back to cleansing and peeling off the large white orange. The sea orange. <laughs> Go back to peeling the, the sea orange. orange. Yes. So, work proceeds. Is there anyone, any of you wish to talk to? Any of your crewmates? Other than letting them know that there's something more going on. I feel it in my gut. I, I may, on the way back down to cleaning the whale, yep. I may just mention to my, my colleague here about keeping muttering to a minimum. Just... Uh, just Look, that, that's fine, and I don't disagree with you, but he is the steward, and if you're caught sowing discontent, there'd be a flogging for you, for sure. So that, that could very well be the case. No, no talks of mutiny. Oh, of course not. Captain knows what the captain knows. Yes. I'm sure he'll deal with it. Yep, and his orders were back to work, so I'm going yep. back to the cleaning of equipment. Stoking that yep. fire. So you work alongside um, Shorter... He, he's been on voyages with Captain Chapel before. He says, yeah, the captain, he's a good man, but it can be a queer fellow. It said his father died when he was 11. I've heard men tell that the captain looks for his father out in the waves here. What say you to, what say you to that, Isaac? The sea does mysterious things. I, I swear I could have sworn my mother on these waters. Oh, I. It's earlier this very day, indeed. Uh, I've seen many a fancy dame in those waves, time to time, longing for my home. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you something about the captain. You no, know, he's got a pistol in his desk drawer. 
seems like he's keeping it close at hand. Cabin boy told me, what say you to that? Uh, I say we just mind our own, I think. There's much need for weapons on these waters. I say the captain be expecting trouble. So it's night. You're all sleeping in your bunks, um, gently rocked by the ocean. Isaac, um, visions of that face you saw in the water earlier in the day, here in your dreams. Opening your eyes, you see your mother's face above you. She is leaning in to kiss you goodnight, her hand resting on your chest. Suddenly, you feel cold, salty water pouring from her mouth into yours. Her hands are gripping. Her hold is strong. In fact, her hold is so strong that you take six hit points of damage as you struggle with your mother. Isn't that like half your hit Bloody points? Bloody hell. Yep. Ooh. It's like you're having a long rest. You'll be fine. <laughs> This cold seawater continues to pour into your mouth, um, choking you as the mother's grip tightens on your neck. Um, Is there anything you wish to do? Um, Wake up and (laughs) um, try and, I suppose, get some air and breathe. Yep. You're you're starting to panic because, yeah. Your yeah. mouth just continues to fill with this water. Can you give me a, um, a strength roll? You need to make an extreme success here. Oh my gosh. Good luck. <laughs> one. Oh. Zero one. Um, that, that's a one, yeah. You managed to push her off. Um, you sputter as you, know, you managed to um, bring up some of this water that started to choke your lungs. Um, turn and you see John DeWitt standing next to you um, as your mother like turns to you again and reaches out for your throat. She says, come here, Isaac. Come here, be a good boy now. She approaches you. DeWitt, you hear this, you see this. So I actually see his mother. Yeah. And, and can, do I also see that he's wet as well? Kind of like, yes. Oh, my God. I'll, I'll do the sign of the cross. Yeah. Yeah, and the mother like looks at you and like snarls. She turns back at Isaac and smiles. Come, Isaac, come, come closer. Um, and she grabs for you again. Uh, can I try and dodge, or is that a thing? Yep, you can make a dodge roll. Nope. Oh, eighty something. Eighty. I'm gonna I'm uh, gonna launch at the mother to, to try and. Wrestle her or grapple her to the ground or sure, something. Sure, you yeah. can make me a fighting brawl roll. It's a fail. 16. Yep. So your hands go past the mother as she like presses further <coughs> in on Isaac. Um, 
her hands go back around your throat um, and her mouth once again clamps over yours and this cold seawater starts pouring in and, and filling your lungs once again. Oh my god. I'm going to continue to struggle and try and push her off. Can I raise the alarm as well? Yep. I'm just going to shout. Yep, you shout out. Um, you look around you and, um, yeah, some of the other men start to stir from their bunks. Yeah. Um, look lively, I'm lads. one of those waking up going, Whoa, what's this ruckus? What's going on? It's the middle of the night. Help, oh. help. <laughs> um, yeah, you see Weeks sit up and he looks at the mother and he says... She shouldn't be aboard the ship. Is that your mother, Isaac? And then, <laughs> yeah, and then realises what's happening and, like, jumps up next to the whip and starts trying to pull your mother uh, off you. Need to take another six points of damage. I die. Oh, my God. I, I, I rush over as well and attempt to pull this creature off of him. Can I, can I attempt to use first aid? <laughs> His body is still twitching on the, the oh, deck. Good enough for um, me. Yeah. Nope. Mm. Nope. Yep. He's you, dead. You can press his chest a few times trying to get this seawater out, but um, yeah. And what's happening with the mother? Taking her baby boy home. Oh. <laughs> As you wonder... You actually wake, Cole. Oh. You were standing on the deck. Hmm? So I wasn't in there. Looking out to the night sky. You feel cold. You feel your beard in the front of your shirt. They're cold and wet. What am I doing up here? I just wonder out loud. There's a queer feeling sort of passing over you. Um, it's as though you've sleepwalked from your bunk to here. I need to go back to bed. And I'll rub my head and my eyes. Yep. So you go back yeah, below deck. Do it. You wake. Uh, you see Cole walk into the quarters. Rubbing my eyes. Yeah. Shaking my head. And you look across and you see Isaac's dead body lying on his bunk. He's sprawled out over his bunk. Um, do you wish to have a wish to have a look? Yes, sure. I'll, I'll get up and uh, and again, I think I'll raise, I'll rouse some people. Well, I see few. you getting up as well. What's yep. going on to it? Um, what do you want to ask? So the body um, is turned slightly to one side um, so that you can't see his face. Okay. Um, oh, no, I know what you can get me to do. You want to roll the body over? <laughs> you may have to. I'm, yeah, okay. I, I do that. I grab one shoulder and, and one hand on his pants hip. Yeah. Pull him towards me. What are you doing to it? I don't, him alone. I, I, don't, I don't think he's good. Isaac's not looking good. I look over and see him pull the body or the person. It's pull Chase. Yeah. Over. So you go to yeah. near the bunk. So Isaac is most definitely dead. Oh. Um, 
The first thing you notice, however, is that his mouth is agape and cold seawater pours out of it. What the hell? Um, almost like a running tap. Um, can oh. you make me a sanity roll, please? I would be delighted to. Success. 34. 95. Ooh. That's definitely not a success in my book. Yep. So that's a 1d3 sanity loss. I guess I'm still just a bit confused oh. as to what's going on. I take three. You pull your hand away from this stream of water coming out of his dead mouth in disgust and Revolution. Um, shock. Yeah. Am I still <laughs> asleep? What is happening? You're Wait, awake. You look awake to me. Yeah. How is he... I don't know. I thought I was awake before. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> what do you mean you thought you were awake before? Anything. Do it. Can you please give me a spot hidden roll? Yep. 60. Uh, so that is fail. Um, I'm going to burn... Can I burn 10 luck? You might, yeah. <laughs> it's alive I spot his mother hiding in the corner <laughs> oh. That's now just a pass So You look across at Cole um, The two of you look at each other Disbelief Looking down at this body the Water pouring out of its mouth yeah. What is going so on? It, you look across at Cole And you can see that the front of Cole's shirt Is wet Saturated with water. There's, mm. there's water in his beard as well. Uh, Other men start to wait. There's a hue and a cry yeah. now. Like, yeah. Cole, yeah. Uh, tell me uh, why why have you why are you wet at the front, mate? Where have you been? What have you been I doing? I don't know. I was just out on deck. Were you with him? I look, was no. Look, I was out on deck. There's water streaming from him, and there's water all over you. I must have. Why would you be on deck, mate? I was getting a drink of water. That's what this is. <laughs> yep. Woke um, up in the middle of the night and I was tired and thirsty. So I, I just went to the water barrel. I suspect that's salt water, but I'm not licking your beard to find out. <laughs> so um, a couple of crew members um, go upstairs, um, obviously to summon the powers that be. Yeah. Um, and a couple of minutes... Uh, later, Captain Chapel uh, comes to the room. Um, he takes off his characteristic tall hat, ducks his way in, um, and looks down at Isaac's body. Has the water stopped trickling from his mouth? No, it's oh still God. running like the tap. Can, can I try and close his mouth? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm just going to leave his lower jaw to close. Yeah. Start coming out his nose. <laughs> yeah. You, oh, no, that's you, worse. You hold, you hold his mouth shut. In fact, his cheeks begin to bulge. Oh, no. I'll, um, I'll open his mouth again. Too. Yeah, and the water continues to pour. Um, the captain mutters and shakes his head darkly. Um, he says, very well, take him onto the deck. Yep. Cool, give me a hand. Yep. Yep. Yeah, well. So DeWitt and Cole, you yeah. you take the body, st- 
still water streaming out. Oh, that's so disturbing. <laughs> yep. And and you'd lay Isaac's body down on the on the deck. Good Poor way to wash the decks. Poor bastard. And and, and for the record, um, it is a bit. Uh, it's got a bit of a stink eye with coal. This whole business with being wet at the front is mm. like nothing is squaring with DeWitt at the moment. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um. A minute later, uh, Bond, the steward, uh, Reed, the first mate, and Joy, who's the head steersman, um, they you see them striding across the deck. They've come from the captain's quarters. Yep. Um, obviously, there's something of a commotion on deck now because you know other other of your shipmates have have woken to see what's going on. Um, the three senior figures stride over to the captain. Um, they form a small huddle and you can hear them kind of muttering amongst themselves. Um, can the two of you make me a listen roll, please? And I passed. 11. Excellent. Negative. 50. <laughs> well, you don't have seawater in your ears. That's good. Which is a good thing. Yeah. You so hit I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You hear the captain say, well, all's well then. That'd be the first one down. decided to play Full Fathom 5, we approached the module creator, Paul Fricker, for some advice. We also asked him whether we could have an interview with him, his thoughts about gaming, ask him some questions about the module, and some more random things as well. And we were so glad when he said yes. So here is part of that interview. We hope you enjoy listening to this just as much as we enjoyed speaking with Paul. What was your first role-playing game experience? Oh, so my first role-playing game experience was I think it was 1980, I was at school, uh, and a friend had just joined the school, and he asked me if I wanted to play D&D, and I'd never heard of D&D, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it was like um, kind of 1980, 1981, and me and him went along and joined this group of sick formers, like this group of, I guess, 17-year-olds, 16, 17-year-olds, yeah. and, you know, we're only like 13, and they're sat around the table after school in the canteen playing this this weird game and it totally captured my imagination and, and me and phil just uh got together every friday and formed a group and we had they gave us some photocopied pages from the i think the dungeon master's guide maybe mm -hmm. and the monster manual so just a few combat tables and lists of spells and we pretty much winged it with those um and that was that was how we started and, and you got pretty much hooked straight away by the sounds of it yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. I mean, I was a, I was a child in the eighties as well, but to my eternal shame, and it's my dirty little secret, I never played D and D in the eighties. 
My my actual first oh, ex- wow. my first experience of role playing games was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and other mutations, which was a bit later in the eighties. Oh, a little uh, bit. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, my, yeah. But the game that I played as a youngster in the eighties was actually the board game Talisman. Which, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which For you sure. can st- yeah, which you can still get these days. So uh, I've got a set at home. Yeah, that's been <laughs> yeah. a few times. I mean, a lot of people started with either like Talisman, or well, most people D and D, I guess. Yeah. A lot of people with Talisman or the Fight and Fantasy books. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston. I've got some of those at home. Mm. Not the originals, but the very expensive, <laughs> newly purchased ones. So, uh... when did you first come across Call of Cthulhu? Well, the same friend has been a big influence in my role playing in my life and in my in my role playing. And in about eighty six, eighty seven, I moved down to Plymouth and spent a year living with him on the coast there. And he introduced me to H.P. Lovecraft. He said, have you heard this author? And I was like, no, never heard of him. Oh, actually, maybe I had because there were some articles in White Dwarf, the mm-hmm. role-playing yeah. game magazine of oh, the time, okay. yeah. uh, with some Call of Cthulhu articles in it and scenarios. So I guess I'd heard of the game, but I'd never played it. And uh, he suggested that I read one of the stories. And then I went along to the role-playing game shop in Plymouth, and they had a second-hand box set. So I bought that, came home and played Paper Chase and just ran it one-on-one. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was the first thing I played was uh, I ran Paper Chase. And we, we started off, with, I guess, we started off with just a few, like just one-on-one scenarios, or at least I just ran them one-on-one. Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. Thank you for that. So I just want to go back to a more, I suppose, generic question. So um, one of the previous published modules you did was the one-shot masterpiece Dockside Dogs which definitely has a tinge of a well-known movie classic out there. Is there, sure. if, you, if you had a magic wand, is there a movie out there that you would just love to get your, your sticky mitts on and, and do the Paul Fricker treatment on for Call of Cthulhu? <laughs> um, I mean, I've, I've been inspired, I guess, by a few books and films. I'm not sure there's, there's one that I would nominate that I'm desperate to, mm. to do. I, I try and rub the serial numbers off them as much as I can. <laughs> I mean, you know, I guess Oxide Dogs. Is a is a tricky one because it uh, is pretty clearly linked to a, a property. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, even then, there were some things I kind of left out that I would incorporate when I run it, like okay. bits of the original script and things like that. Sure. Um, so, is, are there any other films? Not really. Not that spring to mind. I'm afraid. Okay. No. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, to be honest, who needs to kind of you know, in my opinion, who needs to follow the movie? Uh, tradition when you actually come up with so many like great original stuff as well so you know go with the originality also well, thank you. what's your number one tip for being a great keeper well i've had people occasionally ask that question online you know oh, i'm gonna run call of cthulhu what mm. should i do you know what advice would you give me and to be honest what i'd say is what i sometimes just say is well have you read the advice chapter in the rule book because that's where I put all my advice. Okay. So there's a chapter in the rule book. I think it's, uh, I can't remember if it's GM's advice or whatever, but it's like mm. the advice chapter. And I just yeah. tried to distill everything that I felt I knew about role-playing games and put it into that chapter, really, to support people running Call of Cthulhu. Fantastic. Um, you know, if I had to sum it up, you know, it, it's trying to give fuel to your players to spark up their imagination. You know, that that's, mm. that's your job as GM is to, to spark their imagination and just keep, keep putting wood on the fire so that they can get totally involved in, in what's going on and not to, you know, douse the fire, but yeah. to keep it burning. 
That's great advice, thank you. Full Fathom 5 by Paul Fricker starred Matthew James as the Keeper of Arcane Law, Elise Spencer, Stuart Muldoon, and me, Philip Beddingfield. We hope you enjoyed this episode and encourage you to listen to more of our work at Distant Grey Gaming on your preferred podcast provider. You can also find Distant Grey Gaming on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Thank you for listening.